it's never been easier to do a low risk start. And that is like, again, when I tell people or when people ask me for advice, I'm all, and they're like, I want to start this business. I have this idea. And, you know, it can feel very overwhelming because there's so much you want to do. But if you break it down into little bits and you say, okay, I want to test thesis X, right? And then you just put up a Shopify store and do some a little bit of de design and put some paid marketing behind it and see if people convert just to see what those conversion rates are or something along those lines just to get more data to either confirm or negate your thesis. Like that's a good first step. Like you don't have to go out there and create the full suite of products that, you know, might be in your vision, but just taking that first step I think is incredibly important. Hi, entrepreneurs! it's Steph here, and I want to be sure you've had the opportunity to reserve your ticket to our Entreprenista Founders Weekend for our Wealth and Wellness Retreat presented by Chase Inc. We will be hosting our event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida from May 3rd to May 5th, and you are definitely going to want to be there with us. This is going to be your opportunity to build relationships with some of the most powerful women in business. And I can share with you firsthand that the best business relationships are formed when we really get together in person. And I just know so much business magic is going to happen when we're all together. From educational panels, networking activities to wellness activations, inspiring keynotes and breakout sessions. This is going to be a weekend you are not going to want to miss. So you can reserve your ticket today over at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. We only have a few tickets left, so be sure that you reserve yours today. That's entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. I cannot wait to see you there. Emily Matoya Lancaster is the co-founder of Nurture and after starting her first business, Havenly, with her sister in 2013, Emily was ready to transition to her next big thing. As entrepreneurs know, when you look to start a company, you look at what's happening in your own life first. So Emily followed her life's journey and started Nurture and, a premium nursery furniture company when she was pregnant with her little one. Coming up, why timing is everything when you launch a business. Emily shares her biggest lesson from launching two eight-figure businesses. She shares the time-saving chat GPT hacks for consumer-driven companies. And finally, why it's easier than ever to start a business. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Emily, I am so excited to finally have this conversation today. We had connected many months ago, maybe a year ago. I didn't even go back and look to see. I feel like it's been a year, a good year. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. A year in the making. Here we are today. And I'm sure so much has happened in your business over the past year that we can talk about. But before we get into that, did you always know, like growing up as a child, did you always know that you wanted to start your own business one day? Yes and no. I mean, now in retrospect, I feel like you know, I look back on my childhood and I can identify different, you know, situations or stories where I was always hustling, if you will, right? Like I used to charge my dad, like, I forget, like 
$7 or $25 to like organize his, alphabetize his business cards, right? <laughs> at a, like a really young age, like I'd refuse to do anything without getting some type of money from it, which I don't know if it was necessarily a good thing. But in retrospect, I pretend like it was my entrepreneurial spirit and like, you know, totally. young business lady, right? So look, like I feel like my father is an entrepreneur, right? So I kind of grew up with that around me. Um, it was always something like being a business owner and being my own boss and being someone who like builds something from nothing was always part of my MO. You know, I started my first business when I was very, very young. I was about 24 years old. So it's not, or 25. So I didn't have a ton of like real life experience, honestly, post-college. And then I always joke at this point, I'm completely unemployable. So I just have to keep starting businesses, if you will. So that's kind of like... Yeah, we're all unemployable now at this <laughs> that's point, That's the right? thing. Yeah, like who's, you know, who's going to hire me now, right? So instead of that, I just have to keep on doing it, right? So I do think there is something about growing up in a family where, you know, you see your father be his own boss or, you know, create businesses and have employees and things along those lines. And that's kind of just like what you know. Um, so I do think that really contributed a lot to how I've focused my career. Did you work in his business when you were younger? I did not. No, he's like, he wouldn't even hide. He's an engineer. Like, I'm, you know, like, he's like a civil engineer. And I don't even, he builds bridges. I, I wouldn't even know, right? Like, way, uh, you know, above my intelligence level. He's always like, you're what? You're selling what online? Like chairs? Really? Okay. But the spirit of it, yes. I think, is what growing up with and, and being your own boss is definitely something that was very appealing to me, especially from a young age. Totally. So take me back to before launching Nurture and your first business. Tell me about your first business and how that came to be. Yeah, so I actually also co-founded a business called Havenly with my sister who still runs it. So Havenly is an online interior design firm. So for a flat fee, we'll design your space for you. And we do it all virtually. Now we do ha they do have some in-home services. But really the ethos behind it was online interior design. And we launched the business. We started working on it at least 10 years ago. But we launched a business in like 2014, you know, 2013, 2014. So that was really before that whole concept of online interior design was really a thing, right? Like now it's pretty much mainstream, but we had this personal problem that we solved where we were both individually moving into I was moving into like my big girl apartment in, in New York in a studio and she was moving into like her first real house with her husband. And it was crazy how like nothing really existed in the interior design space. So you could either be on Pinterest, do it yourself, or you could hire, you know, one of those high-end interior designers. So that whole concept really was born out of our personal needs, if you will. And, you know, since then, obviously, the company has grown exponentially and, you know, we've raised a ton of money and we're a big company now. But the ethos has always remained the same about effectively affordable interior design at your fingertips. And that was kind of my first foray into entrepreneurship, into consumer, you know, building a consumer brand, building a consumer business, and then also just being in the furniture and design space, which is, you know, tangentially where I am today. So tell me about the process of 
leaving Cavenly and not being involved in the day-to-day anymore and then deciding to launch another company. No, I know. It's funny because, so for example, Havenly does all online interior design. Now my business, Nurture and we sell modern nursery furniture, effectively. We looked at the market and we saw that there was no real brand that was really built for the modern millennial parent, you know, with really beautiful design aesthetic, but also great functionality, free sheep and free returns, amazing customer service at a great price point. Like nothing like that existed in the nursery furniture category. And that's really where the genesis for the idea of Nurture Anne came about. And it's just funny, I always joke, I'm like, oh, like, I start these businesses dependent on where I am at the stage of my life, right? Like, my next business is going to be like, I don't know, like a senior citizen scooter or something, (laughs) right? Like, and, you know, I'm joking a little bit, but I think the process is really like, as you grow older and as you age or as you go into a new situation or whatever, there's always problems that you see that that you're going to face, right? And there's always opportunities or pockets of opportunities where it's like, oh, well, this is crazy. Like, I never knew about this until I'm in this stage of life. Mm-hmm. But there's this, like, big opportunity for this product or this service or something, you know, you are the best customer to solve the problem for, right? And I'm really the epitome of that in terms of my track record when it comes to the businesses I've started. So for example, on my end, I obviously had the background in furniture. I'd seen, you know, furniture brands come up in all other verticals, right? So in living room sofas and outdoor furniture, all these things. But then as soon as, you know, my friends started getting pregnant, the big question was, hey, like, where do you buy the glider from? Where do you buy your crib from? Like, it was also fragmented. And yeah, you could go to like a Target, you could go to like a Pottery Barn, but like nothing really existed. That was like that true brand that kind of solved that whole problem for you. And that's when I started digging into it. And, and you know, I started my own family as well. And so really, I think the learning from that is like, you are the best customer to solve the problem for. You know your customer well if you are the customer. It obviously expands from there, but I really do think like solve the problems that you personally feel and that you personally have an attachment to. And that is, you know, just makes it that much easier for you. Definitely. And I feel like I hear this so much from entrepreneurs where trying to solve these problems that we have and these pain points that we have, and we know we're the ones to do it and can definitely do it better. And I also feel like, and this is me personally, and also have talked talking to so many entrepreneurs over the years, we always have these ideas. Like I always have ideas and I've had to stop myself. Like I can't start any more businesses yet because I have to focus on the one that I'm focused on. I'm all for it though. Yeah, for sure. So how did you make the decision that it was the right time for you to start this new business still being, because were you still involved in Havenly when you first decided to start Nurture End? I was just kind of looking for it. So, hey, I mean, there was also geographical considerations. I moved back to the East Coast to be with my husband and to start our own family. Uh, Havenly is based in Denver, for example. So there were some geographical considerations and there was just like I was ready for my next thing, if you will. We had started the business when I was very young. It had grown to a certain point. I was trying to figure out was the next area of opportunity for me. And then I got connected to my co-founder as well. And it just was a very organic thing. I'm all 
all for like timing is a really big deal. So to your point about like, you know, there's like 15 ideas that any of us could pursue, but I do think timing is really, really key. So for example, when we were started to think about this business, it was, you know, 2018 or 2019, right? And nothing like this really existed in our space. So being able to see that as a potential, you know, blue out or like white space for us to attack was really exciting. And then in general, I was kind of just excited to kind of start, get my hands dirty again, start building something from scratch. And then also take some of the learnings I had from raising a bunch of money or being part of a venture-backed company and taking some of those learnings and applying it to this company, if you will. Those are going to be my next questions for you because, you know, Courtney and I, we started our first business, Social Fly. 10 plus years ago, almost 11 years ago now. And the reason we were able to start and build Entrepreneurs so quickly is because we had all of those learnings from everything we had learned over the years building our agency business. That's how we're able to now, if we have an idea and we want to start a business, we can do it really fast and have all of those learnings. So what are some of the learning lessons that you had from building Havenly that you were able to then apply to Nurture And when you were just getting started? A hundred percent. And the other thing I would just on top of the learnings is also timing is everything. Like in the past five years for us, especially in the e-commerce world, there have been so many more tools that have come out that have made it easier as well, right? Like when I started Havenly or when we started Havenly in 2013, you know, Shopify was like barely a thing. Like people were using such old school, but now you look at the, like the tech stack and it is so much easier to start an e-com business, right? Yeah. And that's just a matter of time. So I think that's one piece of it. And then in terms of learnings, like I think the biggest thing, so these are two different businesses. Havenly is obviously a tech-enabled service, whereas Nurturand is we design, we produce, and we manufacture our own furniture. But at the end of the day, we're an e-commerce brand, right? So it's not going to be you know, it's not a SaaS business. It's not a tech real, you know, we obviously we sell direct to consumer, but as we've all seen with the market, like that's not really a differentiation anymore. Mm -hmm. We truly are a small business brand, right? So I think the biggest learning I had based on Havenly and just being based around, you know, being around the ecosystem for this amount of years is really taking a step back and deciding from the get-go what type of business I want to run, right? Not every business is going to be a billion-dollar business, right? And if you understand what you're trying to build from day one, you can do a few things. A, you can set the strategy for your business to optimize for what you're looking for, right? So if I knew that, look, like, my company, Nurturan, will never have the SaaS multiples that you're seeing that are out there. I know that my fundraising strategy is going to be different because I'm not going to want to raise a ton of money. I'm going to want to hold on to as much equity as I can, right? That informs that piece. That informs how much you spend on your headcount and how lean you are and things along those lines. That informs how much you focus on margins from day one, right? So all those things... I think the biggest thing I did with this business with my co-founder, Roberto, was what type of business are we, like, what are we optimizing for, right? We did not want to raise a ton of money, which is different. You know, Havenly has raised a few rounds of venture financing, but with this business, we wanted to be incredibly lean. We wanted to not raise a ton of money. We wanted to own as much of the business as we could, along with our early investors. And that meant we had to focus on 
margins from day one, right? We had to put, we couldn't just grow at all costs, you know, without thinking about some of those financial type of metrics because we knew we wanted to, again, not give away a ton of the business, which meant not raising a ton of money, you know, which meant that we had to be lean operationally. So it kind of like all, you know, goes hand in hand, but we made that decision from the get-go so we weren't distracted by potentially venture rounds or this or that, right? So that I think that's one of the biggest learnings I had, and especially as a business owner, if you're just like that, again, not everyone has to be the CEO of like a publicly traded company, not a ton of consumer companies, IP, like you, you, we've seen the news and the markets and things on the signs, but like knowing that upfront, knowing what type of business you want to build, knowing what, even for you as an entrepreneur, like as a you know, what type of lifestyle you want, right? Like, what are you optimizing for? And that can really help you when you're trying to build a foundation for your business. So that would kind of be like my big thing. I did not think about that when I was 23 or 24 years old thinking about Havenly, but obviously, you know, that's the biggest takeaway. Well, I think I probably you injected. Know, you didn't, <laughs> I didn't know, know what anything. you didn't know. And I that's how. I didn't know anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, obviously that's not just through my experience with Havenly. That's also being around, you know, a few cycles, a few economic cycles and things along those lines and seeing, you know, what are the companies that are exiting? What are the successes? Like, how do you measure success, right? So I would argue that's probably the biggest thing. That is super helpful to hear. I'm so glad you shared that. Tell me about the process now of launching a product-based business. You're manufacturing your own products. You're learning a whole new world. What were some of those steps you took to get started? And we launched during COVID. So we launched in April of 2020, or I guess early summer 2020. So as I'm sure some people know who might be familiar with manufacturing and things along those lines, like that is like the worst time to launch a business. Prices were so inflated, shipping costs, container price. I mean, it was insane, right? So it was definitely a very new experience in manufacturing a product itself, a lot of learnings there. So I would say it can feel very overwhelming, right? To be like, how do I even create a product from nothing? How do I create this from scratch? And I think our approach was to really, so we launched with one SKU. So in 2020, we only had one product on the market. It was, you know, we call it the Glider Classic, which is the ultimate rocking chair for your modern nursery. We interviewed hundreds of moms and dads to come up with a list of features that we felt like, you know, were the ultimate needs for when you're nursing your baby or when you're, you know, for your newborn, when you're rocking them to sleep, right? So that first product had an adjustable power headrest, it had stain-resistant fabric, power recline, gliding, built-in USB charger, like that all came from customer research. But we decided to go out there with one SKU. And I think that was really, really advantageous to us, Mm. especially because my co-founder and I did not have a ton of manufacturing experience. We partnered with incredible manufacturers, but, you know, it was still like our first go. So having a very limited SKU set, 
I think was really important to us so we could like get our feet wet. But also from an inventory perspective, from a working capital perspective, like there's a lot of advantages to starting off, I wouldn't say small, but to launching with one product and not overwhelming the customer, making sure that product is good and great, honestly, and can attract a large amount of people. But that was our kind of strategy. And since since then, we still have a limited set of SKUs because our whole approach is providing you with a curated set of nursery essentials that are, you know, research driven and customer feedback driven, but we don't want to overwhelm you. But also on an operational standpoint, it's incredibly advantageous as well. I personally, as an entrepreneur, really believe in like relentless prioritization. You know, to your point, when we started this conversation, you can pursue 25 things at once. And it's very easy to be distracted by like shiny objects and like all these things. But like, then you're just going to do 25 things kind of mediocre, right? And that's kind of my approach to whether it's product development, whether it's anything in general, whether it's leading my team, right? Like relentless prioritization is key and making sure that you're able to really excel, you know, for us when we launch that product, being able to manufacture the best, market the best, sell the best, ship the best, and then take those learnings as we start to expand our product category, if that makes sense. Up next, you'll hear about how Nurture and handled the SVB collapse. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. As a founder, or really as a woman in business who is creating their own success, whether you're just starting a business or you're scaling it, dealing with finances and money can often feel very overwhelming and intimidating. We have all been there. But according to fellow entrepreneurista and personal finance expert, Varnoosh Tarabi, that fear can surprisingly be very helpful for your future success and wealth. Farnoosh is the host of the So Money podcast and the author of the best-selling book, A Healthy State of Panic. She gets candid about all things finance with leading business experts every Friday on her podcast. And she dives deeper into the nine biggest fears that hold us back both professionally and personally in her latest book, including rejection, loneliness, fear of missing out, and failure, to name a few. She offers a wealth of knowledge and tackles the relatable feelings we all experience about money. So you are definitely going to want to subscribe to her podcast. And if you want to meet Farnoosh live and in person, be sure to join us at our Entreprenista Founders Weekend event from May 3rd to May 5th at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. Farnoosh will be speaking and she cannot wait to connect with you. You can reserve your ticket at entreprenista.com forward slash Founders Weekend and we will see you there. When do you decide to launch a new product or to move into another category that you have really, you know, mastered that first product or that, you know, one initiative that you're working on to go on to the next? Yeah, it's all very customer feedback driven. So I still personally read every review. I actually still personally read every customer service response as well. So I'm still very close to the customer. Look, I, I know that's not scalable, but it is very important for me. And so much, you can start to see, like, when you're that close to your customer, right, you can start to see trends emerge. And what's great about it, again, still, because we're still relatively small, is we're able to have that, like, immediate feedback loop Mm -hmm. that can inform our product development, right? 
And that is something, you know, we're at that point where I probably shouldn't be reading every customer service response from the past month on a Friday night, but you know, I still do it. At some point I might not be able to, but I still feel like that is an incredibly important component to being able to be close to the customer and to also tease out what people are asking for, right? Obviously surveys and things are great, but like there's nothing like hearing it straight from the customer themselves. When it's your own business and you're building it and you're making decisions based on what your customers are sharing, I totally get reading every single review and wanting to. And yes, down the line, if there's hundreds of thousands, it'll probably be physically impossible. But for at least right now. I think right it's now- like getting there. Like definitely can't be done during work hours. But, you know, I, I still feel like it's like the best resource for hearing what people are asking for, what features they think might be missing. You know, every single review that comes in, I re- review and read. And I would argue that's incredibly important to any business owner to hold on to that for as long as you can until it truly does break. So now I actually, we were just talking before we hit record for all of our listeners, we were talking about uses for chat GPT. And actually, maybe this would be a use. You could put in all of the customer reviews and they could pull out the key themes and trends. So I know exactly. The problem is I looked into this. You have to like still individually paste. You know what I mean? I haven't played around in the past week and things have been changing so quickly. I do not believe and correct me if I'm wrong that you can upload just yet. I I don't I don't know. I and look, there's so many different tools that are coming out yeah, in I know. the it's, AI space. And things so are like changing so quickly. I'm just like, I just need two more weeks until someone comes out with this problem. You see, yes, exactly. So, someone's yeah. probably solving this right now. It's definitely not me because I'm not allowed to <laughs> start anything else. But someone's probably working on this right now. Maybe by the time this episode airs, it'll it'll be available. Yes, perfect. I would love to hear about your relationship with your co-founder. How did you meet your co-founder? How did you know they were the right fit to partner with? Because you were partnered with your sister on your first business. Yeah. And then this, um, my co-founder now, Roberto, who has the, uh, you know, a very different background than I do. He comes from, you know, private equity and he worked at Goldman for a little bit. And we actually met through like a friend, honestly. And we... You know, we were introduced by one of my friends who was like, oh, you know, she's an entrepreneur. She's thinking of his next of her next thing. You know, I know you want to start your own business. Like we kind of started like ideating, if you will. And it just turns out that like our personalities and our strengths and weaknesses really complement each other. And what's been so great is I think, you know, we from the get-go were very aligned about what type of business we were trying to build. We were very aligned on being, you know, our product first, customer satisfaction first, but not, like I mentioned earlier, a very, like, focused on profitability, focused on, you know, making sure we didn't have to raise a ton of money, focused on really building a business that makes sense. And we were both aligned with that from day zero, right? So I think that's really helped with the foundation of our relationship and as we brought more people into the team. And then the other thing is, like, you know, truthfully, a lot of my strengths are, you know, I wouldn't say his weaknesses, but are not necessarily what he wants to spend his time on. Whereas, like, a lot of what he gets, like, super excited about, my eyes glaze over, right? So that's what also I think when you're looking at your co-founder, like, 
And look, I know many, many successful co-founder relationships who do have very similar personalities. But in this sense, I think our secret sauce is that we are very different, but very like very distinct, I guess. So we each have, have our own lanes, but can come together under the ethos and the mission and really mm-hmm. are aligned with what matters, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Which is so important. That's how Courtney and I are too. We have very opposite skill sets and things that we both enjoy doing that we're great at. And Courtney handles operations, finance, like all the things like you don't want me touching any of that stuff, but yeah, I, no, handle, yeah, yeah. I handle other things and you just have to have that alignment and the same vision and mission and that absolute trust that you know that you are both working towards the the same goal together. So a hundred percent. Yeah. And just, you know, again, making sure that you're both aligned with what type of business you're trying to build, making sure you're aligned with like what type of team you're trying to build, all of those things is super important as well. But yeah, agreed. Like I couldn't be bought. Like I love rounding up numbers and then he's very exact. And so there, you know, there's things that like fall into each of our wheelhouses, which as they should. Right. So that's been really great for us as well. Tell me about your team. How many people on your team now? Who was your first hire? Oh my gosh. So we were actually very lean for a very long time. We were only the two of us really with with a handful of agencies and contractors until about a year ago, I want to say. We brought on our first employee. So, you know, I had my first baby. I took some time off and we were just the two of us, right? And we were revenue generating. Like we were like a real business. And again, it was just the two of us. But what I will say is I think that's a testament to how we, between the two of us, we were able to own, you know, a lot just because we had such different skill sets. Mm-hmm. But then a year ago, we brought on our first hire who is an operations associate, or yeah, our operations associate, just because again, we are shipping product, we're warehousing product, we hold inventory. So there's a lot of moving pieces there. She's been with us for a year. Um, shortly after that, we started building out our marketing team. So we have a great brand marketing person, but we're still super small. We're about like seven, you know, full-time employees, if you will, with a handful of contractors and agencies and things along those lines. And again, like for us, like we're very, even before the market started being what it is today, we were always very focused on being lean, just making sure that we were able to handle the team that we were bringing on and then then that there was a real need for it. But we've also found really great agencies and things on those lines, which I feel like in the past five years, like again, with like agencies abroad and, you know, we use an agency for customer service like that. All those companies have just like kind of blown up in the past five years and they provide really great services for e-com, you know, an e-com store like ours. Amazing. Any customer service agencies that you want to mention or tech solutions or softwares that you are using that you recommend for entrepreneurs? Well, we're on Shopify, which, you know, for anyone who has an e-com business, I do feel like they are kind of like have a, I don't want to say monopoly, but they are the go-to now. So our apps and our tech stack is really related to Shopify. So for example, we use Gorgeous for customer service, which we've been pretty happy about because they can pull in data from Shopify and things along those lines. 
and then, you know, Clavia for emails. Like, it's just crazy how, again, like, and I think this is great because now it's never been easier to start an e-com store, which is amazing for people who are either trying, you know, want to pursue a side hustle uh, before it becomes a full-time thing. Like, it has become so much cheaper and easier to just test it out, you know, which is awesome. Because then you're not, like, investing a ton of money, you're able to really test it out, see if there's product market fit. You know, if you're still a little hesitant, you can still kind of hedge a little bit, right? Because of the fact that all these tools exist that are so user-friendly, but also cost-effective, right? Which didn't exist, again, when I started my first business. So I'm I'm really excited about that. And we were just talking about ChatGPT, like even with that, as that expands and all these apps and all these services from that service, it's going to be a whole new world. And it's going to be make it, entrepreneurship is never easy, but it'll make it, what's the appropriate word? The entry point might be less difficult to really test something out, if you will. Yes. I say it's easier to just get started. If you have an idea, you can actually start and test and go where back in 2013, when you started your first business, there was many more hurdles and things to figure out and tech that you would have to build. And now it it, it all exists and you can just listen to this podcast and find out all the resources, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think you're totally right. It's never been easier to start. It's still hard to start, but it's never been easier to do a low risk start. And that is like, Again, when I tell people or when people ask me for advice, I'm all, and they're like, I want to start this business, I have this idea, and, you know, it can feel very overwhelming because there's so much you want to do. But if you break it down into little bits and you say, okay, I want to test thesis X, right? And then you just put up a Shopify store and do some a little bit of de- design and put some paid marketing behind it and see if people convert just to see what those conversion rates are or something along those lines just to get more data to either confirm or negate your thesis. Like that's a good first step. Like you don't have to go out there and create the full suite of products that, you know, might be in your vision, but just taking that first step I think is incredibly important. Absolutely. And you mentioned doing a lot of customer research and studies on the customer prior to launching. Were there any tools that you use, like survey tools or certain ways you set up your, you know, user feedback uh, to be able to collect all of this data? Yeah, I mean, I wish I was more sophisticated, but like when we did do customer, it was literally just video calls, Excel spreadsheets, you know, Google Docs, writing down everything anecdotally to get the full picture. Obviously, now we have a little bit more of like a marketing type of push with, you know, Yachtpo for our reviews. And, you know, I use like Typeform for customer surveys. And then we obviously have like a mail. We use Clavia from email so we can actually collect information and things along those lines. But there's not that. I mean, I'm sure someone out there is like, oh, you, you know, there's X, Y, and Z. But no, I was just like hitting the ground running and like just talking to everyone we could, you know. Well, that's um, how you start. Which is, you know, the good old way, I suppose, for sure. How did you go about finding manufacturers and any advice you can share for someone who is thinking about starting a product-based business or you have to create your own products? I know. You got to hustle. So we actually got very lucky. The person that um, the manufacturing company that we do use and that we go through, I've known for many years in the sense that my friend from business school introduced me to the the founder effectively like in 2016, right? So we, it just came about organically in the sense that like, you know, we weren't able to work together 
at that time, like when we first got introduced, but we like, you know, nominally had stayed in touch. And then, you know, at some point, I think I might have reached out and it just kind of came about organically, if you will. So the power of network is like my biggest takeaway there. So even if like call it, we had probably met yeah, like four or five years before Nurture Ann was even an idea. And now we're like true partners and he's on our cap table or the company is on our cap table. And, you know, we're really able to like be partners in this process. And it is like, you know, it didn't work out at the time. I think we were pursuing something with Havenly, but like it is funny how in the future you never know what kind of relationships might rear their heads, right? Yeah. So that was kind of... um And so in terms of manufacturing, we got really lucky. I mean, in terms of if we're starting from scratch, like the world and global, like the world is so much smaller now with research, with being able to find, you know, there's some really great family firms out there that do this as well. But yeah, we kind of got lucky with, with this relationship for sure. What would you say is the craziest thing that has happened to you since starting this business? Uh, Well, I mean, we launched in the middle of a pandemic when no one was going into stores. What was good was everyone was having babies effectively because there's nothing else to do. So that was great for us as like a nursery furniture brand. The other good thing was, you know, we did start off as direct to consumer. So obviously there is this like psychological hurdle that you have to convince a customer like to buy a thousand dollar item online without seeing it. But because of the pandemic, people were staying at home. No one was going to stores. So that really was advantageous for us as well while we were getting our initial product out there. But I would say being in the manufacturing, and I won't go too much into this because it's a little boring, but like, you know, the prices for bringing product into the United States we manufacture overseas was like out of control. I mean, no one had ever seen this before. Things were going like costs and price and everything was on our margin was like insane. But what I always say is like we launched in the most insane environment. So that was kind of like the normal for us. So now that things have normalized, we're kind of like, huh, like, oh, okay. Like, you know what I mean? We launched in such a psychotic environment that that's what we had to adapt to. Yes. But again, when things like get normalized and cost normalize and demand and all that stuff, and we're just like, oh, okay. Like, you know. So we, now there's like we, actually easy days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Easier. We optimized for like when like the ports were closing down and my inventory was stuck for like 90 days. Like that was normal to us because that's all we knew, right? But now, like, I'm like, oh, wow, we don't like that, that, you know, this is easy. I mean, kind of not really. But um, so I would say like the whole thing with like the container pricing, I'm sure people read about it, but like or saw it, you know, if they were buying furniture and like the lead times and things along those lines, that was that was what we launched into. And then additionally, I will say we did bank with Silicon Valley Bank, and that was like a very crazy weekend, I would argue. I would say that was kind of like the craziest thing or one of the craziest things I've probably experienced as a business owner. We were lucky because we were on top of it. And so for people who don't know, Silicon Valley Bank, basically, I think they, you might have to correct me on the timing, but like on Thursday afternoon, there were rumors that they were going to go under, you know, Friday, everyone was trying to get their money out, their website shut down, nobody knew what was going on. So, and then 
the government didn't come out until Sunday, Sunday at 6 night. p.m. Yeah. Easter time to be like, oh, we'll insure the deposit. So between Friday and Sunday, everything was kind of in limbo, right? And we had just closed our round and like we did have a bunch of money in there. We were lucky to get out because we had a backup bank. So we were in a much better position than a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners who like for three days did not know if they could make payroll, right? And I just think being part of that whole conversation and that ecosystem and texting my founder friends and texting my sister, for example, who also banked there with Havenly, like it was just like a very chaotic, it was the craziest thing I've ever been a part of, right? How do you handle those moments when these really hard, crazy things happen and you have to still lead and keep going? How do you personally handle everything? Yeah, I mean, look, I think everything is solvable for the most part. Like, that is definitely my personality is like, okay, like, and this is probably very annoying to my husband who might just want to, like, complain about something. And I'm like, okay, but what's the solution? Like, let's come up with solutions. Like, not the best in every personal situation, but I, in I could just tell you, I drive my husband insane with that because he's like, just listen and stop trying to solve everything. Right? Like, I just want to complain. So now, actually, I have this thing where if he comes to me, I'm like, do you want solutions or do you want to just be heard? Like, before we even get into it, because my brain automatically goes into, okay, this is your problem. Let's break it down. And what's a solution, right? So that is how I personally approach problems. Going back to the point that I said earlier about just like breaking things down into blocks that you can attack. Problems seem, especially in business, it can be so like big and like overwhelming. Like, you know, I'm starting business. How do I make it into a hundred million dollar revenue business? Like that is such a big lofty goal. And that's still my goal. But like, if you break it down into little chunks, so it feels more attainable, it feels more approachable. That is how I try to approach things. And I think that's really helpful, right? So like, in that situation, actually, my husband, who is in finance, called me on Thursday afternoon and was like, i feel like you might want to look like I don't have a TV. I'm not watching CNBC, like whatever, right? And then being able to be like, okay, well, let's hedge. Let's do this. Let's like having steps is really helpful for me. And that's how I lead as well, right? Like big problem. We might not have money. Okay, let's like break it down into little like little plan A, plan B, plan C. And that also makes me feel like I have control as well. I relate to everything you just shared. So I think uh, us as entrepreneurs, we just have a certain way to work and, and think about things. Yeah. But I will say like on a personal level, it's probably not the best solution, but you know, it's fine. It's good internally because we're able to figure everything out. But yes, I, I definitely drive my husband crazy because his brain doesn't work that way. And sometimes he just he just wants to complain. I'm always like, just come with us. Just come to me with a solution. He's like, no, I just want to talk. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I'm trying to get better again, but like, okay, if the cable's broken, like, tell me what the next steps are instead of just like complaining Letting about, you know, you know whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming up, Emily shares her tips for fundraising from angel investors. So you mentioned raising a round and I know you had mentioned in the beginning, like not wanting to raise a lot of money. Like how did you determine it was the right time to raise? What were some of those steps that you took and any learning lessons from the fundraising process you can share? Yeah, for sure. So with 
this round or with the money that we raise has truly been from what the business needs, right? So we were very prescriptive on making sure we had a budget for like exactly how we want to spend it, obviously with some buffer, but we were very prescriptive of like, okay, this is the amount of money we need to get to this revenue level to get to this next turtle. What is it? What type of money do we need? And like, what is the bare minimum that we need while still continuing to be lean, right? So let's say even if we did raise a round, it's not like we operate differently. Yes, we hired a few handful of people, but like, we're still like lean. We still like, you know, is the appropriate word kind of, I don't want to say criticize, but we still look at every bill that comes through the door, like, you know, none of that stuff, right? So I think, you know, look, like having a smaller amount of money forces you to continue to be that way. If we had raised 10x what we did raise, right, it would be a different, it's just mentally you have more of a buffer, but like feeling like we don't have a buffer makes us more efficient, lean, and really conscious of how we spend, right? In terms of, The process of raising, we really went, you know, we still call it a seed round. It was a relatively small amount. Really friends and family and family offices and things Mm -hmm. along those lines were our target. We were still, again, we knew we didn't really want to go the venture route just because we're not really a venture business. And so for us, really was finding people who believed in us as founders, who believed in what we're trying to build and who believed in the traction. So each, we'd already like, you know, we weren't, profitable, but we're like around hovering around break even. Like we had really great numbers and really great traction behind us. And so we were able to really present that, which made the whole process a lot easier as well. How long did it take to raise that round and any other learnings you can share just about the process of reaching out to potential investors, making lists, how to set up the raise? I would say probably took about, let me think, like four to five months all in. And that's, you know, honestly, because it was on a rolling basis and we had an idea of like where we would close it. But like individuals, it's not like a true venture round where you're like, oh, this person gives you a term sheet. And then, you know, everyone else follows, you know, follows that lead. Individuals and angels are like a whole different process. So to your point about like, how do you organize it? It's like reach out to everyone in your network, see who they know. They might introduce you to five other people and there's five other calls. Like it really is a networking game when it comes to angels, at least in my experience with this, right? And so, you know, you kind of, you hear people be like, oh, it took us two weeks to get from like, that was not the case for us. I don't, I mean, maybe that's normal for some people, but like that was just not the world that we were living in, which, you know, we were fine with as well. We were very opportunistic on in terms of the type of investors we were bringing on. We're very opportunistic with the amount, you know, and then we were in a good place by the time we closed it, for sure. Did you set it up as angels could invest directly into the company or was it set up as a syndicate? We did like angels and we had a minimum check size. Yeah, no okay. syndicate. We okay. did have one syndicate come in at the end, but for the most part, the rest are all individual investors and things along those lines. We have in our entrepreneurs community, we ha- now have a raising capital power group for founders that are raising capital so they can all learn from each other, network together that's led by someone. Um, And we've been working with Sidecar. They just came out with a product so founders can do like founder-led SPVs. So that way, if you wanted to like do your own syndicate and bring on, you know, smaller checks, not with direct investments, then you can do it through 
through their platform. Oh, very cool. Oh, take a look at that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's great. I mean, again, like so many things between my experience with my first business and this business, like so many things have changed, right? Like all the new, all the new things. (laughs) Yeah. Like it wasn't that easy. Like I know I've invested in a few SPVs and things along those lines. Like that, that wasn't like a thing five years ago, right? No, it wasn't at all. Was not. And your minimum check size had to be $100,000 or like hundred like that. Like that's also putting my investor hat on or, you know, whatever. Like that is a big hurdle to cross if you're required. Like, but with these different processes and with you guys and like with what Alyssa's doing and things along those lines, it's really cool because you bring that entry price point so much lower and that just means for more investors more money into it more entrepreneurs it's just a really cool way of supporting the ecosystem which again I feel like is a relatively new thing which I love absolutely yeah it's so fun with all these new opportunities coming out and just being able to to optimize and help founders help investors it's it's really really cool yeah exactly I want to hear about being a mom and also building, growing businesses. I I know I can relate to a lot having an almost four year old now, which I can't even believe. Which you know, time time but just four flies. is such a fun age. I heard three is like three. So my oldest is two, and she's very sweet. She's very sassy. But I heard that it just keeps getting better from now. So for, for, oh gosh. But yeah, I have a baby girl and then I'm expecting as well this summer. So I'll be having a boy shortly. And it, look, like I, first of all, I run a nursery furniture business, right? So like, A, I get free product, which is freaking awesome. Everything I do, like we still have like the original prototype of the glider in her nursery, right? Like I get all the fun stuff, which is amazing, right? Um, And then in terms of balancing it all, you know, I'm the first to say I have like the best support system. I have an incredible nanny. I have an incredible husband who is truly like 50-50%. We'll see what happens with two kids because I know going from one to two can be like a lot more, you know, what's the appropriate word? A lot more, a lot more cumbersome from like an organizational perspective. But you know how we were talking about how we are both very solution oriented, right? Like what's the problem? Get things done. Execution focus. Like I feel like I've actually become more so that way after having a child because When you have so much going on, when you're running a business, when you're working full-time, when you want to be a full-time mom, when you're managing a household, you can't, you got to get everything situated, Every second counts. (laughs) Every second counts. Every, and it's like, you know, we we hear about the mental load, right? And, And don't get, that's a whole other conversation, but like, you have to be like on top of it. Like, you need to make sure that the that's not slipping through the crowd. Like it's it's all project management, which at the end of the day is like the role of a founder anyways. And so it is interesting. I'd be curious to ask my husband about this, but I wonder, and my thesis is that, that uh, that aspect of my personality has just been amped up ever since I've had a child because every single minute counts, right? Every meeting I'm in, What's the agenda? What are we trying to get out of this? Is this a brainstorming session? Is this executed? Because like at the end of the day, I want to see my kid, right? Like that's the whole, like you have to get stuff done. And so I will say that we'll see. I'm only two years into this, but that personality trait that I 
suspect a lot of founders have and a lot of women have is very beneficial when managing your own business and being a mom, honestly. So what's been the best part for you of being a mom? Oh my gosh, she's just like so, she's exactly like me. She's super sassy. She's like my poor husband. Like, he's like the nicest, most even keeled guy. And we're both like, just like, you know, like just running around with our heads cut off, right? But it's been fun to see the world through her eyes and like having her discover all these amazing things. And just like, you know, you see the world through a new light, if you will. It's very rewarding. And I love every minute of it. I work from home sometimes. She comes in, she knows, you know, she'll say hi to my co-founder, you know, all those things, right? Um, And that's also been great post-COVID. Well, even with starting your own business in general, people can have, you know, are so much more flexible with where they work and, and being able to do that is really important. And we have a few moms on our team as well. So that's very important for us as business owners to provide to our team. And that's just been really beneficial for us as well. So relate to so much of what you shared today. And it's (laughs) been an honor to hear your whole journey and story and so excited to follow along and see all the big things you're going to do next and can't wait to see pictures of the little one. Oh my gosh, I know. Last question for you. What does being an entrepreneur mean to you, Emily? Hmm, That's a really great question. I've thought a lot about this. I think it's about ownership and it's about building your own future. And building the life that you want, right? Like, we hear so many stories of, you know, these splashy big businesses, which is great if that's what you want. But there are also people who are creating these amazing businesses on the side or, you know, like, I just think it's like having ownership about what you want your life to look like and what you want your life to look like and being able to create that for yourself and not having to conform to a mold is really important. And then hearing stories you know, of people who've done it before in the sense that like everyone can, you can do it, right? You just have to take that first step. Absolutely. Well, Emily, thank you again for being here and sharing your story. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And then for those that are interested in buying your products, where should they head over to do so? Oh, amazing. So um, Emily Matai Lancaster, I am on Instagram. I'm public, I believe. It's Emily M. Lank. L-A-N-C. Sorry, I'm old. I'm like very bad with social media. We'll link well, out to everything. So don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. I, I like have a TikTok, but I don't think anyone needs to see that because like it's very confusing either way. And then um, the company I run is called Nurture And. So we are available online at www.nurtureandspellaand.com and then on Amazon and Babylist as well. Amazing. And again, we'll link out to everything in the show notes below. So if you're trying to find Emily or Nurture and go head over to the show notes. And we'll also link out to uh, some of the business tools and solutions that you shared as well. So go head over to the show notes. And Emily, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.
Founders are always asking us, what has been the secret to our success building multiple seven-figure businesses? Do you wanna know how? It's our community. We created the Entrepreneurial League for founders like you. Our members have access to everything we've used to grow our businesses over the past 10 plus years. To learn more and get on the wait list for when doors are open again, head over to entrepreneurista.com. That's entrepreneurista.com to get on the wait list.